today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. You love me more than you love your father, your mother, your kids, your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband. Yes, do you love me even more than you love your own life? That's what he means by hating those things. He says, because if you don't, you cannot be my disciple. And are you willing to take up your cross if necessary and follow me? Because that's where I'm going. I'm going to a cross. I'm going to stretch out my hands and my feet on a wooden splintered cross. And I'm going to die for the sins of the world. Do you really want to go with me? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Second Chronicles. We see this more clearly in some other countries, but the decision to follow Jesus comes at a great cost. It can cost you your job, friends, family, and even your life. In today's message, Pastor Gary reminds us that no matter where we live, we should count the cost of following Christ. Perhaps there's something holding you back from following wholeheartedly. Jesus was willing to go to the cross for you. Are you willing to give up something for Him? There's no way we can repay Him Yet he gives back much more than we give up. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapters 21 through 28, for part two of today's message titled, The Cost of Following Jesus. God determined to humble Amaziah because Amaziah was worshiping the wrong gods. And he did not give glory to God for the victory over the Edomites. So Amaziah gets all full of himself and he starts taunting Jehoash to the north. Jehoash says, why don't you just have a cup of coffee and stay home? And Amaziah's like, no, we're going to fight. And fight they do. But God determined to humble Amaziah. And so Jehoash comes down to Jerusalem defeats Amaziah. The Bible says that he hauls off treasures from the temple of the Lord, silver and gold. He even hauls off treasures of Amaziah's personal resources from the palace. He knocks down a large section of the city walls of Jerusalem, and Amaziah is left a defeated, broken man. Jehoash goes back up to the north where he rules and leaves Amaziah just standing in a heap of ruins. And it tells us at the end of this chapter, look at how it closes, very tragic, verses 27 and 28. It says, From the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they conspired against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent men after him to Lachish and killed him there. He was brought back by horse and was buried with his fathers in the city of Judah. That's the way this guy's life ends. He abandoned the Lord. His own people even turned on him and killed him. So that's the main commentary on this guy's life, which is why, again, I'm a little confused. Why is he on the A-list? I mean, why is he considered a good king here? Because there's a lot of stuff that he didn't do that right. But one of the things that he did do right is found here in the passage that we started with. And so if you'll glance back at verses 5 through 10, I want you to see again here, what is this one thing that he did well? 
Here's the background. As he's preparing for war against the Edomites, he takes a census of his own army. He counts 300,000 fighting men of the kingdom of Judah. And he says to himself, that's not enough. I need to have more in order to defeat the Edomites. So the Bible says here that he hires 100,000 Israeli soldiers from the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, this is not an unusual thing, really, when you think about it. I mean, he's a Jew. These are his fellow Jews to the north. So he thinks, I'll hire them. They'll fight with me against a common foe. He pays, the Bible says, 100 talents of silver and basically hires a mercenary army. Why don't you guys come fight for me? And he recruits 100,000 soldiers from the north. The problem is that the northern kingdom of Israel is not walking with God. They are in rebellion against the Lord. They are evil. They are wicked. They are idolatrous. So an unnamed prophet is sent by God to challenge Amaziah. The prophet says, Amaziah, you should not recruit the 100,000 soldiers from the north. They don't walk with the Lord. They don't love the Lord. They're in rebellion to God. And if you recruit them as part of your army, God will defeat you. God will not allow you to be victorious. You need to cut them loose and let them go back home. Now, when the prophet says that to Amaziah, Amaziah's first immediate reaction is typical of any man in this situation. Amaziah says to the prophet, but what about all the money I just paid for these soldiers? Look at verse 9, first part of verse 9. Amaziah asked the man of God, but what about the hundred talents I paid for these Israelite troops? I mean, I just doled out a boatload of money to hire these guys. You want me just to send them back? Is that what you're saying? And let me put it in modern terms for you so you know just what he's cutting loose. He offers a hundred talents to hire them. hundred talents of silver. One talent was 75 pounds. So he offers 7,500 pounds of silver. Now, I did a little math. Silver on Friday closed at almost $16 an ounce. In modern street value, what he was giving up was $2 million. He had financed $2 million for these troops. The prophet comes along and says, you need to cut them loose. They're not good for you because they're rebellious against God. If you link them with your army, God will see that you're defeated. You don't want to do this. And Amaziah, to his credit, says, well, if that's what it takes, then I'm going to cut him loose. If I have to lose $2 million in being obedient to God, then that's okay. And he cut him loose. And he realized it would be better to go in with 300,000 soldiers and God than 400,000 soldiers without God. And he trusted the Lord for the victory, and God indeed gave him the victory. But notice what Amaziah was willing to do. He was willing to count the cost. He was willing to cut loose $2 million if that's what it took in this particular situation to be obedient to God. Now, I want you to hear how this translates, because listen, this idea of what will it cost us, we need to realize Nothing that we lose can ever be compared to what we gain in Christ, folks. And nothing that we give up can compare with what Christ has already given up for you and me. This translates here. Amaziah 
courageously cut ties with the Israeli army, sent them back, and God gave him the victory. And let me encourage you, this is how it communicates in modern terms. I'm challenged by this story. Obedience will cost you something. To be a follower of Christ, it will cost you something. Nothing that we lose can ever compare to what we gain in Christ. And nothing that we ever give up can compare to what Christ has already given up for us. Okay, so I want to make that clear. Having said that, however, following Christ will cost us something. There is a cost involved in following Christ with all our hearts. It may cost you, as it did in the case of Amaziah, it may cost you materially. It may cost you professionally. It may cost you relationally. It may cost you personally. It may even cost you physically with your very life. There is a cost. And God calls us to count the cost. You know, in Galatians 5, verse 1, the Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Please understand, freedom is given freely. But freedom was not gained freely. Freedom was gained at a cost. And the cost was the blood of Jesus Christ that He shed on the cross for you and me. When Jesus Christ offers His life, He lays down His life in what is ultimately described as the great exchange. It was His life for your life and my life. He took on our sin and gave us His righteousness. He took on our punishment and gave us His peace. He sacrificed His life so that we might have life. That's what Christ has done for us. Freely given, not freely gained, because it cost Him everything. His own blood that He shed on the cross so that we might have the freedom from sin and death and be able to go to heaven when we die. That's all a free gift, and it is given freely. But Jesus then says to us, but you're going to have to count the cost. Because I freely offer you all of this that I died for. Eternal life, the rich reward of heaven, having your sins forgiven. But if you want to follow me, Jesus says, there is a cost. Go now to Luke chapter 14 for the other half of our study. These closing verses of Luke chapter 14 are honestly some of the most challenging words that Jesus speaks. And it all has to do with whether or not we're really willing to count the cost and follow Him. In Luke 14, let me read the first couple of verses from verse 25 through 27. Verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Please note that. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, He said, if anyone comes to Me, and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Again, I haven't even read the entire section here, but these are some of the most sobering and challenging words that Jesus speaks, aren't they? 
The Bible says here in verse 25, a large crowd is following him. I want you to imagine this, okay? A large crowd. How many? Hundreds, maybe thousands. They're following Jesus. Or he's walking somewhere. And here's all these people following him. And Jesus turns around and he says, this is incredible. I love this. This is wonderful. All these people. What a great crowd. Hey, next week, bring back a friend. No, that's not what he does at all. What Jesus does, instead of responding with excitement, he responds with skepticism. And he looks at all these people who are following him and he says, i got to be real with you. I'm not sure some of you are really following me. I mean, I know you're following me. But I'm not sure you're really following. Now at this moment, if there were some church growth experts in the crowd, they would have shouted, Jesus, why don't you just stop talking right now? You're going to run off most of this large crowd. And it's all about the crowd, isn't it? It's not always about the crowd. Jesus has no problem, in essence, challenging people and weeding out the large crowd. And that's this whole closing section here of chapter 14 of Luke. He says, listen, if you really want to follow me, you're going to have to learn. Here's the challenge. Do you love me more than you love your father, your mother, your kids, your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband? Yes. Do you love me even more than you love your own life? That's what he means by hating those things. He says, because if you don't, you cannot be my disciple. And are you willing to take up your cross if necessary and follow me? Because that's where I'm going. I'm going to a cross. I'm going to stretch out my hands and my feet on a wooden splintered cross, and I'm going to die for the sins of the world. You really want to go with me? You really want to count the cost? you understand what you're getting yourselves into? Now, the whole idea and concept of the cross is somewhat so far removed from us that we may not understand. The people of his day understood it. They understood Roman cross, crucifixion, humiliating, painful, degrading, the most horrific way and brutal way that somebody could die. Jesus says, you willing to do that for me? In modern terms, it was as if Jesus said, are you prepared to take a bullet for me? You ready to die for me? And I ask you, Think about this. It's an incredibly challenging thought. But if someone were to point a gun at your face and ask if you're a Christian, and you're thinking to yourself, if I probably say no, I might live. If I say yes, I'm going to die. And would you say yes? Because Jesus says this might be required of you. It's what was required of 21 Coptic Egyptian Christians who were beheaded by ISIS on a beach of Libya. And their blood ran into the Mediterranean Sea all because they were Christians. Yes, we're willing to die. Cut off our heads if you need to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he wrote Cost of Discipleship, was very outspoken against Nazi Germany and Hitler as a Lutheran pastor. And shortly after he wrote Cost of Discipleship, he would live it out because Hitler would put his head in a noose and hang him in 1945. At the age of 39, Bonhoeffer would die just because he was outspoken against something as a Christian. That's why he was killed. Jesus said, are you really ready for this? Do you love me more than your father, your mother, your brother, sister, spouses, kids? Are you willing to die if necessary? Because that's where I'm heading. And then he illustrates it further on here in Luke 14. He says this, verse 28, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he's enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it, note that, will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. 
So Jesus makes this opening statement about, you love me more than anything and anyone, you're willing to die for me? And then he says, let me illustrate it to you this way. Nobody sits down and plans to build without realizing if they have all the money and all the construction materials to finish this project. How ridiculous would it look if you got halfway finished and couldn't complete the project? He says, don't follow me unless you can go all the way. This is not halfway. This is not half-hearted. This has to be, you're all in. He says, I want you to count the cost and consider, are you all in for me? Because it's going to cost you something. And you know, unfortunately, see today, because we enjoy the comforts and the convenience of an American lifestyle, and I love America, it's the greatest country on earth, but one disadvantage we have is that it has somewhat sheltered us from the reality of the cost of discipleship. Because I could preach this in some other places around the world, and people would know exactly. Yeah, because I lost my friend, my husband, my father. They were killed for their faith. Yeah, we gave up everything to follow Christ. Yes, we are now refugees without a home because we're leaving because of our faith in Christ. And so now we're homeless. And there's going to be a whole lot of people who understand this perhaps even more so than we can grasp because we've been just nicely kind of isolated in a way that the real cost of following Christ sometimes is unfamiliar to us. But we need to be willing to tell people, you come to know Christ, listen, you need to count the cost, you need to measure this ahead of time, you need to be sure you can go all the way with this, not just halfway, or people will ridicule you, people will mock you. So I can't promise you that you're going to be able to keep the same friends, because when you start following Christ, they may not want to follow you. And I can't tell you that you're going to still be able to hold on to your job if you still want to do that particular job with a clear conscience and integrity now that you're following Christ. I can't tell you that it won't cost you in some way financially because now you're going to give up a certain position or a certain title because now you want to live and go serve the Lord and do something different. There's a cost to discipleship. You might be lonely. You might be unpopular. That guy or that girl might dump you, but that's part of the cost of following Christ. Jesus gives illustration number two. Look at verse 31. He says, Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. He says, In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple." Are you willing, if necessary, to just sacrifice everything? Are you willing to give it all up? He says, all right, now you got the tower illustration down. I don't want you to go halfway with me on this. I want you to go all the way. And then he uses military terms here. And I love the battle analogy because sometimes we forget we're a part of that army and we're in a war. And God wants us to realize it's going to get ugly. It's going to be hard. I don't want you to get into this thing. And, you know, nobody starts out in war and then goes, I'm not sure we should have done this. You know, if you're in, you're all in because this is a battle that we're in. Okay, we got to do this right. You know, how ridiculous would it be? Can you imagine if some soldiers in a real battle on the front line and then one soldier just runs back to base to his commanding officer? Like, I don't know what's going on out there, man. They're shooting things at us. Some guy pulled a pin through something, it exploded. This is ridiculous. What's going on? Commanding officer would be like, son, listen, this is war. This is what it's supposed to be about. Jesus says, I don't want you to get into this thing. And then, this is hard. I didn't really realize. People are shooting things. I didn't, yeah, because following Christ sometimes will feel like you're in a battle. 
He says, are you ready for this battle? And then he summarizes all of this, last couple of verses, verse 34. And it almost seems out of context. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he starts with this challenge. He says, are you going to love me more than anything and anyone else? Are you even going to be willing to die for me if that's what it requires? Do you understand the tower thing? Can't go halfway. We're in this all the way. Understand the battle analogy? Okay, we got to fight to the very end. Persevere. There's a great victory in store for you. Are you all in this? And by the way, salt is good. <laughs> Can you imagine being in the crowd? You hear Jesus going off on all this stuff, and then he's like, by the way, just, you know, salt is good. And he's like, what? What does this have to do with anything? Well, it has everything to do because it's a commentary on the person who's not wholeheartedly into this. And he compares us, he compares people to salt. He says, yeah, salt is good. But he says, listen, if it loses its flavor, then it's just powder and it's useless. So I have no use for this. If salt loses its flavor, you can't even put it on the soil. Now, soil in ancient times was sometimes fertilized in moderation with salt. It's not all that uncommon. Actually, after World War II, British farmers, when potassium fertilizers were scarce, British farmers actually used table salt to help fertilize their fields. And in ancient times, they would use it. Jesus said, if it loses its properties, if it loses the essence of salt, it's no good for the dirt, for the soil. Can't do anything with it. He says, in fact, if it loses its saltiness, you can't even put it on a pile of manure. It will ruin the manure. People, this is challenging. The Bible's actually saying that someone could ruin a pile of crap. <laughs> it's like the Bible's saying, wait a minute, you're standing on this pile of manure. Get off, you're going to ruin my crap here. <laughs> because at least the manure has a redemptive property. You can scatter that and use it as fertilizer. But Jesus says if salt loses its saltiness, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with it. Salt is only good if it retains the nature of salt. A Christian is only good in terms of usefulness if he or she retains the nature of Christ. And the nature of Christ is, I'm going to the cross, it's going to cost me everything. Are you willing to go with me? Amaziah the king said, Man, I want to be obedient to God, but I'm not sure. Two million bucks, that's a lot of dough. And the prophet says to him in reply, the Lord can give you much more than that. You say, wait a minute, if I quit my job to go follow the Lord, what, what's the Lord can give you much more than that. If I have a breakup now with my boyfriend or girlfriend, the Lord can give you much more than that. What about my retirement package? I may not, the Lord can give you much more than that. What about my friends? What about my popularity? What about this? What about that? The Lord can give you much more than that, and He already has. And as followers of Christ, He calls us to count the cost, be serious about following Him, and always remember, no matter what we lose, we gain so much more in Christ. No matter what we give up, Christ already gave up much more for us. So fight the good fight and persevere because the Lord can give you much more than that. Hope is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones. 
The writer of 2 Chronicles intended the book to be a reminder of God's love and faithfulness to the people of Israel. They needed this history lesson to remember and renew their trust in their creator. Can you recall a time in your life where God came through for you? When you find yourself in a difficult situation, remember that moment. God will always be with you, and His promises are always worth holding on to. We hope today you've been blessed by everything you heard on Cornerstone Connection. This teaching and others like it are all available on our website to listen to again, or even download and share with others at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find more information about this program and Pastor Gary, as well as some helpful resources. Just click Companion Resources under the Teachings tab to find PDF files that will enhance your own study of God's Word. We'd also love to meet you in person, so if you're in the Leesburg area, please come by one of our services. We meet Sundays and Wednesdays to worship our Creator and study His Word. If you can't make it to a service, you can always live stream them from our website. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today. Join Pastor Gary again for another insightful edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know 